I've grown through the years understanding the difference between a coach, a manager, a leader, a mentor, and a sponsor. And that might sound silly, but you have to wear a different hat depending where your team is at. And you have to meet them where they're at. You can't coach when it's time to teach. You can't only mentor when it's time to sponsor somebody on your team to the next level and let them go. I think that's what's helped me most as a manager is really understanding the nuances between all of those Mm -hmm. and thinking about when to apply them to that human on my team that's really important to me that I want to make sure grows and flourishes over the next two, three years. Welcome to Manager to Manager, a podcast about the experiences of people leaders and how we can enable them to lead engaged, healthy, and high-performing teams. I'm Kamaria Scott, your host, and I'm thrilled to have you join us as we learn, lead, and succeed together. Welcome to another episode of Manager to Manager. Sometimes you meet someone and you just know within a few minutes that they are a great people leader. And that is the case with my guest today. We met at a reception for a volunteer event that we both attended. And within a few minutes, we were looking at her team's strength reports and talking about how she helps them overcome their blind spots. So I'm excited to welcome Woody Walker to the show. Woody, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. It's a pleasure. Would you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I am the North America Sales Enablement Lead for Avanade, which is our Microsoft arm under Accenture. I also oversee our digital sales team, which is an inside sales team. Can you tell us a little bit about your team? Because you have a unique team that you lead. Absolutely. So My team is what we call our future leaders in sales, and we are digital sellers. My team consists of early talent professionals, and I have about 35 of them. And the goal is to really grow them in their sales talent, to grow them in their comfort level of knowing themselves, grow them in Microsoft technology, challenger sales selling and a whole host of other things. We have about a 16-week program for them, but they usually join us right out of college. And then they stay in my program for two to three years and move on to a business development role at Avanade. So it's interesting that you that you talk so much about their growth and development because I, that is, I would say, the common theme, or if, when I think about you, it is the word development and how you are constantly thinking of ways to help them grow, help them develop, help them grow into themselves as leaders. Could you just start with maybe what are what are some of the things that you've done thus far? So what are some of the techniques or tools that you're currently using just to help them in their personal development? Absolutely. And I'm using the same techniques with them that I enjoyed as a early talent professional as I grew into my field. So anything from Gallup strengths which to me is very important because I don't want them to focus on their weaknesses. That's not going to catapult them where they need to be. I want them to really think about what their strengths are and put all of their energy into balancing those strengths. We don't want to overplay our strengths. We don't want to underplay our strengths. So that's the first one. The second one I like to call positive intelligence, where we do education on self-sabotage and really judging yourself and working on the imposter syndrome 
that comes, you know, naturally with so many early talent professionals and tends to go away as you feel more comfortable. Uh, the third part we like to do is social styles, really understanding what your social style is and how you communicate and also coworker social styles, client social styles, being able to very quickly pick up on that and tweak your communication to the person that you're working with um, or selling to so that it is a win-win conversation. It's interesting that the things that you mentioned are not necessarily technical skills, but really that whole person development. And I noticed that you're really very hands-on in helping them think about their development as whole people, as individuals who are working. Why is that so important to you? So if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, which you and I have discussed before, you've got that first level at the bottom of the triangle. It's all about safety, physical safety, and really feeling like you're in a place where you belong and not getting up in the morning and feeling threatened. So to me, that's really the most important piece of engaging in a company and being able to learn. If you don't feel comfortable that your boss has your back or the company has your back and that you're safe in that environment, it's really hard to go up that Maslow's hierarchy. So for me, I always start with mental health, well-being. You know, you are safe here. You are not going to lose your job. I am committing to you to grow you for the next couple of years. You can call me anytime you need something. You are not alone. You are on a diverse team. You're on a team that believes in equity. Um, those to me are the building blocks of learning. Then on top of that, you layer some of the soft skills training that you and I talked about. Then you can layer on the technical skills and the certifications and so on and so on. But very much like Maslow's hierarchy, I do think you need to start with the bottom pyramid. Can you see the impact that has on your team? So when you're looking at that approach and you're, and you're sort of evaluating, does this work? Is it something that I think is worth the investment of time? How do you know that it's working for you and it's working for them too? I see a huge change in them in 90 days and then another big jump six months into their role. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of employees come to me and say, you know, when I started this job, I had imposter syndrome so bad. And now I kind of feel like I can do anything. And it's because I've learned who I am and I know what my strengths are. And I feel really good about what I'm contributing. That also comes with finding a purpose and a passion. And, you know, we are sales development reps in these roles. And sometimes we have to do very repetitive things, but I try to mm -hmm. find a purpose and passion for every single one of my employees. So if someone says, I love teaching about well-being, great. You're going to teach that every single month of the team. I love sustainability. Okay. You're now responsible for the sustainability volunteer items for our team. I love talking about mental health and ensuring that I'm sharing my story, et cetera. So I'm always trying to make sure that everybody has some kind of passion and purpose, which allows them to come to work every day, feeling like they're contributing something that is very important to them, as well as their regular day job. I'm watching them develop in 90 days and then six months and nine months, and I can see big jumps of development and a lot of that fear and imposter syndrome going, going away. And as you and I both know, once imposter syndrome stops rearing its ugly head, you are in a growth mindset where you are ready to grow, learn, and continue to really move your career forward. That is what I'm seeing. And that is the power of everything we're talking about. 
That is wonderful. And I, I've had the opportunity to meet several of your direct reports, so I, I have seen it in action. Would you mention imposter syndrome? Of course, that does bring to mind to me the one, the leadership conference that you did for your team. And I had the opportunity to present a session. And one of the things that stood that stood out to me from, from that leadership session, and even what you just said about taking their passion and allowing them to sort of teach it out to each other and have the responsibility of supporting each other's development. You have always seemed to find innovative ways to make sure your team is developing, even without a tremendously large budget, right? You've you've been just creative and innovative and thinking about how you bring forth learning opportunities. Can you talk a little bit about that, about just, you know, managers struggle with Maybe I can't send someone to training. Maybe I can't send someone to a conference, but we know development is really important. How are you managing that for your team and how do you go about thinking about it in that way? Actually, the Leadership Summit is a great example. We did that um, with zero budget, actually. We are in a wonderful time right now where there is nothing that you cannot access for free. I mean, Harvard's happiness uh, course is free and it's one of the best courses. And I think it's like 15 hours and it's just an amazing course that every person should take and it's of no cost. So I don't think you need a large budget to make career development happen. So our leadership summit was something we did virtually at no cost. Uh, we made it fun. We had somebody do a cooking segment so that everybody was engaged and feeling like they could get up and have fun in their kitchen. Uh, we loved your imposter syndrome segment. It was the favorite of everyone. I had a couple of my team members present uh, things that they were passionate about and really just focus on leadership. And I think when you involve everybody and let everyone collaborate and spend time um, just sharing intimate stories about their lives, we do that during the cooking portion, which Tanisha led. She um, is a fabulous, talented cook. I think it makes a summit, fun and memorable and educational. And so I think we can do that as managers all the time. We don't need to send someone to a conference and spend $5,000. We don't need to send someone to a course that costs $1,000 a day. We need to be sitting with our team and listening to them. You know, what is fun for you? What do you want to teach? What do you think your coworkers want to learn? How do we come together and come up with a fun half day summit so that everybody gets something out of it? And that's what we did. And yeah. thank you for reading. You, you're always so wonderful. We love to have you. <laughs> your team is, is my favorite. Don't tell the other teams that, but I do enjoy coming <laughs> and spending time with your teams. What I, what I loved about that process too, is when you and I were talking about even developing that day and I was like, I have some great ideas. And you were like, yes, but they've actually come to me with what's top of mind for them, where they'd like to develop and grow and what they feel like they're struggling with. and you made that day about them and what they needed. And so to me, that reflected that you you listened to their needs, you listened to where they thought they needed development and let them own that. How do you stay on top of what the gaps are for them? How do you stay on top of where they need development when you're putting together, be it this day or something else? How are you making sure that you're hitting the right things? Reverse mentoring is is my friend. So as you know, I'm a generation Xer and I am very aware that the way we used to do things is not how we want to do things today. Most of my team is in the Generation Z world. Mm -hmm. And it's important for me to tweak 
how I teach, manage, mentor, lead, coach, because those are all very different, as you and I have discussed, to what is important and what sticks for that generation. If I was to try to talk to them like I talked to somebody in my generation, it's just not going to land. And if it doesn't land, I'm wasting their time and my time. So it's really important to tweak to the generation that you're managing. And that I believe Generation Z is extremely wise. I was telling the story yesterday. You know, when we were 12, we just rode around the block on our bike. <laughs> yeah. We didn't know what was going on in the world. These 12-year-olds are aware of the political issues, not only in North America, but across the world. And they are mm-hmm. so wise to understand what's happening with the environment and sustainability. And, you know, at the age of 15, they have collected so much wisdom from everyone that they're engaging with on social media. And we just, we didn't have that. So I greatly respect what they bring to the table. They're open and transparent and they want to talk about mental health and they want to talk about their whole selves and they want to bring their whole selves to work. So I'm learning from them every day and that helps me be a better manager. And I actually feel like I've grown a lot since I've um, managed this team because I've personally learned a lot about Mm -hmm. how I can improve and watching them just be these amazing do-gooders and they already want to give back at this, you know, young age. And it took me to like 40 to figure out how to become a philanthropist. So they're extremely talented and uh, big hearted individuals, and it's a pleasure to manage them. It must be really gratifying to be able to see that and to be a part of their development, but then also to recognize that they're a part of your own development. And we don't, we don't get to a place where we stop developing. It's not like I've made it to this level in the organization, even this phase of life. And then all of a sudden I've, you know, I'm, I'm done growing and changing. So the, the reverse of mentoring and the acknowledgement that development, honestly, within a team happens, you know, peer to peer, it happens level to level. There's as, as much for us to get from them as they, they can get from us. Absolutely. Great. One thing that you mentioned is that they do want to talk about mental health. They do want to talk about things like imposter syndrome. They do want to talk about, you know, giving back to the world and the relationship we have in terms of developing used to just be develop the skills. And as I said before, now you're sort of like developing the whole person. How do you think the changing needs of our team and the changing things in areas where they want to develop has led to different development needs for us as managers and people leaders? I think we need to realize that we are not enough and we can't expect one manager to eight to 12 people to be the answer. So what I've done is built many groups and everyone's a mentor. So as soon as you join my team, you have three months to go through your official training and then you are mentoring the next class that comes in. So that my consultants mentor my senior analysts, my senior analysts mentor my analysts, my analysts mentor my interns. And that encourages everyone to have a development mindset for someone else, not just for themselves, because there's no way that I can spend the time I need with 35 people. But if I'm showing how it's done and showing the behavior I want on my team and showing empathy and how I help grow two, three people, they then copy me and they take that to their mentor program, right? Mm -hmm. And now all of you have 
this group of 35 people all growing together and all learning how to coach and mentor and be sponsors for each other and celebrating each other's wins and listening to each other's stories and being, you know, mental health support systems, encouraging well-being. Like I love when we're on a chat and someone's like, did everybody book their PTO? Or like, you know, one of them will say, did everybody take a walk today? You need to be out in the sun for 30 minutes. So, you know, if you haven't taken a walk yet, turn off your teams and get out there and walk. And it's just, it brings a huge smile to my face because they're always encouraging each other. We, we even have a chat called uh, the holistic chat where they're sharing nutrition information with each other, um, suggestions on meditation. It's just amazing. So I love it because I really feel like they are becoming a family for each other and a support system for each other. And mm-hmm. I can be gone weeks if I need to be and everything continues running. It's not like I'm not this cog in the wheel. If I just, everything falls apart. And that's really important to me. Um, I don't want to be someone that can break what I've built. If I have to walk away for a couple of weeks. Well, there are going to be people who are going to hear this and go, that sounds amazing. (laughs) How do I do that? So can you just share a little bit about how do you get them ready to mentor someone else Um, or to just even have that responsibility for being someone else's peer coach, peer counselor, peer peer developer. Can you share a little bit about what that's like? Absolutely. So we do teach them how to mentor. We have uh, documentation that they follow. So for example, you know, you do need to set some boundaries, right? So as a mentor, I need to ask my mentee, you know, hey, we're going to meet once a week for 30 minutes, what do you want to get out of this? Okay, what do I want to get out of this? What can I teach you? What can I not teach you? And just make sure that you've set those parameters for that mentoring. You don't want to just get on the phone and talk about nothing for half an hour because that's Mm -hmm. not mentoring. We do have a little program, how to mentor, how to be an effective mentee. That's also important. If you don't show up to your meetings prepared, you don't come with what you need. You know, you're not really engaging then you're not an effective mentee and that's not healthy either. So we train them on how to be a mentor, how to be an effective mentee, and we check in. Also, some of it is just going to be, it's okay if it's not perfect, right? Some of it's just going to be natural growth. Maybe you're not Mm -hmm. the best first go around. So you're mentoring an intern and you're not the best you could be, but then you now grow And now you're mentoring an analyst and you're a lot better than you were the first time around. So they do get multiple chances to to mentor. So by the time they've graduated my program, they've mentored about four to five people. And I do do believe at that point, they would be very strong mentors as they're moving forward. And I encourage them to continue doing this for the rest of their career because mentees and sponsors have changed my life and teaching them that we have to give back in any way we can. You know, sometimes you can't give back by donating dollars to a fund, but you can find four or five people that are following the path you're in and share your story Mm -hmm. and be there for them when they have a couple of questions that they deem silly and they don't want to ask somebody else. Right. Or just be there to listen when they've had a bad day. So that's how we do it. What's so interesting about that is there's two things that really just jump out to me about what you shared. One is that, you know, a lot of times when we think about developing leaders, it's almost like you have to get to this phase in your career where you're just a doer, 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 doer. And then this switch flips and all of a sudden it's like, now learn to be a leader. But you really are giving them leadership development 
from the very beginning because the ability to coach and mentor and guide other people is almost the epitome of what we say good leadership is. But so many people go through their careers first thinking about themselves and then they struggle with the switch to becoming an official manager because now they've got to think about how do I help other people? But you're starting them off from the beginning with that mindset and with that skill set of how to be of service to others, which I think is amazing. And do you know what the number one reason for happiness is? Tell me. <laughs> Being of service to others. Yes. And their program is their favorite. You should see them beaming when they're done making a difference in somebody else's life. Oh. They love it. This is their favorite part. You know, when I say, hey, you want some mentor and intern? You're like 35 people responding. I'll take two. It, it just feels so good to help other people. And happiness is a big part of what I want on my team. I don't want them just engaged and working hard and being productive. I want them happy. And it, it might sound silly, believe that's really important to them. I don't think it's silly at all, because even when you look at, you know, what Gallup tells us about engagement in the state of the workplace, there's a lot of maybe discontentment in work in general, globally, especially post-pandemic. And so taking the time to be deliberate about, but are they, are they happy during the work? Is this an environment where they feel safe, where they feel like they can grow, where yes, we are selling, we are learning, we are doing the things that the organization needs of us, but we're also creating this atmosphere where we truly enjoy one another. And what you've always been able to do is make it everyone's responsibility. And what you said about, it's not eight to one in developing. In all of the sessions or a lot of the years that I've been working with managers, development has been something that's been almost scary or something that they really struggled with because it's like, how do I personally develop all of these people? What am I supposed to do to help them grow? But you've made it almost like it's a collective team responsibility. I enable it. I ensure that it happens, but I don't take on the responsibility myself for each person. I teach them to be responsible for themselves. As you said, how can exactly. managers adopt that mindset. So how would you encourage them to think about development to kind of put in place what you've put in place? It's all about ensuring the team can thrive without you. If as a manager, you don't check your ego and you feel like, oh, you know, I did this. And when I'm here, everything works great. And when I'm not, look, it's falling apart. That's the wrong mindset. Mm. The mind to be, I built something and I can walk away and it will continue to grow and thrive without me because I've done the work to plant the seeds with everybody else. And that's really the most important part, right? I want to be able to look back and say, all these amazing leaders don't need me anymore. And now they're amazing leaders for other people. To me, that is the most gratifying part. I, I've seen that in you in person, just watching them thrive and grow on their own. I want to switch gears just a little bit. There are things that we focus on today that we didn't have to focus on in the past. And there's ways that we have to show up in thinking about the development that maybe we didn't have to before. What are some of the challenges that you think we face today as managers trying to help our teams develop, or even as our role in developers to them? I am going to take the remote work view on this because my team is fully remote and a lot of teams are hybrid. And what I'm seeing them miss that we did not have to do four years ago is have them find friendship. You know how they say, you know, if you have a best friend at work, you're mm -hmm. so much happier. I take it as my responsibility to help them find each other and help them become best friends. So we do something called 
culture keepers. And Tanisha, who is my strongest coach, leads these. So we'll do something, for example, like the animal cafe, which sounds so fun. And it is. Everybody brings their animal to (laughs) a hall and they just hang out with their animals in their laps and talk to each other about what they're doing that weekend or, you know, something that would happen naturally around the water cooler. But now we don't have water coolers anymore. So how do you recreate a virtual water cooler? And it's voluntary. Sometimes five people show up. She does it every week. Sometimes 12 people show up. Sometimes I see like 25 people in in her cafe and I'm like, wow, we are having a fun conversation today. It puts a smile on my face because I can see where they are building relationships with each other and they're finding their best friend and it gets them up in the morning, right? Like if I know I'm going to go have a fun chat with my team members or a couple of people that I really like while I'm working during my break, during my lunch break, it makes me excited. Mm -hmm. And it's hard when you're getting up and you're just moving from your bed to the kitchen, to the living room. And that's where you are. So we want to encourage, again, we're calling it culture keepers. We want to encourage that same feeling that same serotonin that you get when you're chatting you like in the office, we want to bring that to you in a remote environment. I love that. And I know people are going to be like, I'm going to try that. The culture keepers, do they get to come up with their own cultural elements or that come from someplace? How'd that come into existence? So I have multiple people doing this, right? So Tanisha is one, Sammy's another. She hosts like happy hours in, you know, after hours once in a while just to bring everybody together. So everybody comes up with what they feel would be fun. I do believe they ask each other and, and come up with fun Jeopardy games and all kinds of creative ideas that I would never be able to come up with. <laughs> so I really allow them to take that and make that their own. So yes. They, they are responsible for coming up with a culture keeper theme and executing it. They're gathering feedback and that it's successful and makes people happy and it's growing relationships on our team. That is wonderful. So great because I can tell there's a closeness on your team that many people are still trying to figure out how to do that virtually and how to adjust to the new hybrid environments. The fact that your team comes up, not only not only owns it, but comes up with it on their own. And I, I feel like I do have to ask you about that because one, one of the things I do see in your team is that there is a lot of self-ownership. Did you select for that? <laughs> did you grow that? Did you nurture that? How did you get uh, to a place where it's like, they do take ownership for, I know you have a chief ha- happiness officer. How do you get to that level of self-ownership? I think that's something that's organic, right? So when I them, hey, what is your passion? What do you want to own? What do you, you know, what makes you get out of bed every morning and you want to just share it with the whole world? When they get to pick something that is a topic of their choice, that's when they self-motivate. So I like doled out those titles to people and they didn't really want them. I think you would see completely different behavior, but they're kind of in their own department and their own future. And these engagements and these creative ideas are coming from them, not me. As a manager, I think we need to realize how much talent creativity is on our teams and stop trying to have the answers. I -hmm. think the answers are on your team. Let them come up with these answers and give them the leeway to come to you and say, I want, and by the way, I never say no. I have not said no to a single suggestion they've come to me with. So in some cases, it will just kind of go away on its own because it didn't work and I don't have to say anything. They just realize it's not clicking 
And in other cases, it's amazing and it clicks and everybody loves it. But if somebody comes to me with an idea, I always say, absolutely, go make it. And I can't wait to join. That's my answer. Because until somebody tries it, I don't know if it's going to work. So why would I naysay it? So I think that helps us kind of be an innovative team, an engaged team, a happy team, a productive team, a self-starting team, a self-motivated team, all of the things that you and I want to see on our team as managers, right? Mm -hmm. And isn't that the epitome of psychological safety? Giving people the opportunity to try something and saying, listen, it might work, it might not work, but we don't know until you try it. And it takes away that fear of failure because they know that you're going to give them the opportunity to figure out if it's working and they can stop it if it doesn't work or they can iterate it to make it better. But a lot of times when we talk about lack of psychological safety, it manifests in lack of willing to take risks, lack of willing to try something new, because if it's wrong, I think, you know, someone's going to punish me or there'll be a negative consequence. So the fact that you even give them the opportunity to say, try it, figure it out. It might work. It might not work is really what to me is the foundation of giving them psychological safety that will stay with them. Absolutely. I'll say we're not neurosurgeons. No one's going to (laughs) die. Right. Do that's going to blow anything up. Please be innovative, be creative, be fearless, have a growth mindset. I love that. I have like one or two last questions. One is you, you have a sales team. And one thing I do know about salespeople is that their time is valuable. It's probably one of the only professions where we absolutely quantify the hours they spend on their activities. Absolutely. Is it worth the investment? Do you think it's worth the investment of time? Because some of this does take them away from, you know, selling activities, the culture building, the mentoring Is there an ROI to speak of that makes it say it's worth it that they're spending this amount of time just on the development, on themselves, on the leadership development day that you had? Absolutely. I mean, neuroscience has shown us over and over again that you need to take breaks to be super productive. Yeah, you can try to work seven hours a day and focus and try to hit the phones and send emails. But you know what? you are not as effective and efficient on your seventh hour as you are in that first hour without taking a break. So I truly believe that taking a break will will allow you to be even more productive and more focused when you get back. So I strongly believe that what we are doing, all of these extracurricular activities are making them more productive and it's in the numbers. The amount of promotions that I've seen from my team in the short year and a half, there's been eight promoted. The numbers in the pipeline are very healthy. Everyone enjoys working with my team. I hear over and over again, how passionate they are, how they really engage with our customers. They are excited to be on calls with our customers. They are excited to help any and everyone that comes to them. I've always received extremely positive feedback on my team, their level of customer service and their level of commitment to our clients. And I do believe it's because I allow them to take fun breaks that they've created. To me, the most important thing is we spend so much time at work. We can't just say, oh, I'm going to be happy after hours, but for eight hours a day, I'm going to be miserable and just get through this. No, there's no reason why we can't be happy at work and at home and really pump up our productivity everywhere we are. And then you just feel so much more satisfied with your life because you're happy in all aspects of your life and not just one. You don't need a vacation from your job. 
So that's really what I'm aiming for. And that's my goal. And to answer your question, I do believe there's a huge ROI in what we're doing. And I, I have seen it and I have heard it from multiple executives. Thank you for sharing that. I think we always need to hear it is worth it to take these breaks, to let people spend time with each other. It is one of the things that we've lost from traditional or in the same place work environment is the ability to kind of stop and chat and stand over the cubicle. And it's gotten sort of very transactional. So your focus on that is honestly just very inspirational. So just as a last question, is there anything else you might share with managers or people leaders who are trying to think about how they develop their teams and how they help them grow and even how they you know focus on their cultures? The last thing I would say that I think I've learned a lot, you know, I've grown through the years understanding the difference between a coach, a manager, a leader, a mentor, and a sponsor. And that might sound silly, but you have to wear a different hat depending where your team is at, and you have to meet them where they're at. You can't coach when it's time to teach. You can't only mentor when it's time to sponsor somebody on your team to the next level and let them go. I think that's what's helped me most as a manager is really understanding the nuances between all of those Mm -hmm. and thinking about when to apply them to that human on my team. That's really important to me that I want to make sure grows and flourishes over the next two, three years. So not sure if that's the answer you were looking for, (laughs) but that's really what I'm focused on. Yeah, no, I think that did answer the question because part of the role and part of developing people and working with our teams is consistently scanning the environment and knowing how we have to show up to move it forward, to help them get to whatever that next phase is. And it requires different tools from our toolkit. So I think the awareness that we have to have of when do I do these things? When am I more hands-off and when do I let them fly by themselves is really important. And being excited for them to move on. You know, one of the things we talked about the other day, we were having a well-being conversation about burnout and they were all talking about what happens if they decide to quit or what happens if they decide to switch jobs. And I said, if you have a strong, healthy manager, they should always be excited for you. Mm -hmm. Because if you purpose somewhere else or your passion somewhere else, or if you just feel like it's time to move on, they should always have your back and support you long-term. This should not be about them. When a manager is saying, I can't believe you're leaving me, or why are you doing this to me? You need to leave because it is not a healthy management employee relationship. So I think as managers, as much as we can check our ego, that makes us better leaders. And you have to remind yourself every conversation you have, am I thinking about myself or am I thinking about this person that's entrusted themselves to me? by agreeing to come to this company, by agreeing to work with me to mentor others and grow others. And just checking your ego is so, so important. And we all have to do it daily and remind ourselves. So we do, we do. Well, this has been a pleasure as I knew it would be. It's always such an inspiration to talk to you and to hear how you are leading your team. I can't thank you enough on behalf of all of the listeners. I do hope that we will get a chance to talk more in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I always love chatting with you and I learned so much. You have been such a great coach for me and really helped me bounce ideas off of you and given me valuable feedback. So I can't thank you enough for your friendship um, and your relationship with me. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Woody. And if anybody wants to reach out to you and maybe just ask a couple of questions about, you know, things for their teams, is LinkedIn the best way to do that? 
LinkedIn is the best way. I try to respond to all the messages I get within 48 hours. So be patient with me, but I would love for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Awesome. Wonderful. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. To all of you listening, thanks for hanging out with us. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If there's a manager in your community who you think might also enjoy it, please feel free to share the episode. I hope it encourages you to take care of yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time on Manager to Manager.